Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, it's going to be our second part of our um, two-part message on who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 and uh, stand in honor of God's Word um, as I read to you the second half of the chapter beginning in verse 15. God says this to us. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which is which has not has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generation, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known the great, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may, may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God, honor your word in us. May your Holy Spirit be diligently at work in us in such a way to change us into the image of your Son. God, you know how much work we need. You know how much we have failed you even this last week. And so, God, I ask that you would... um, Ignite a fire in us that boils over into the life of this week. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And if someone comes in late, there's a seat right here in front of the bookers that they can sit. We've been talking about Jesus, and really this is the picture of, our, our picture of Jesus, what, 
what we see him as. And I think so often, especially uh, in America, uh, that we picture Jesus, and maybe it's some of those pictures, depictions of him, that we picture Jesus as some kind of hippie with this full-length kind of toga with some flip-flops on that's going around saying these peaceful, nice things to everybody. And the little kitties are meowing around him and bunnies are... And everyone is peaceful. And, and, and Jesus is some kind of like someone who doesn't really fit in, but he's just this nice, smiling man who says all these kind things. And he just looks like a hippie type thing. We've made that up in our mind and we've maybe carried that down from generations. I think of hippies because I I just moved from the land of many hippies. Uh, They didn't realize that was over. They didn't realize. No one told them. Others of us, as we get our picture of Jesus, we gather in circles. They might be in Bible studies. They might be in coffee shops. And we sit there and we go... We have these big, bold statements and we say, well, you know what I think. That's the way we start those conversations. Well, you know what I think. Let me tell you what I think about Jesus. And someone spouts off their opinion and picture of what Christ is, who he is, what he's like. And then someone else maybe waits for them to stop or interrupts them. And he says, well, you know what I think. And they go around the circle back and forth. Well, you know what I think. Well, you know what I picture. You know what I think about Jesus. And all the while, it's as if Jesus is sitting in their midst saying, I'd like to speak. I'd like to tell you about myself. Can I say something here? And this morning, as we are looking at who Jesus really is, not what we've made him to be, not a picture that we have been passed down, not some opinion that we have espoused or someone has given to us, we're going to look at his authoritative word. The last answer, the right answer, to define once again who Jesus is. And and it's a painful process sometimes because What it means, it means setting that other picture aside, taking it out and throwing it away and having implanted in us something different that didn't come from us, didn't come from our upbringing, didn't come from our heritage, didn't come from our family, our friends, our our political affiliations, didn't come from any of that, but came from Him Himself, that He has shown us who He is. We're going to pick up where we left off. Last week we looked at who Jesus is and we saw saw that He was the God that we could see. The God that we could see. He was the creator, the inventor of all, the focus of life and everything that goes on. The eternal one, not just in the future but in the past. The glue that holds this world together. And we left off last week that He is the head of the church the head of the church. Did you get that? If you weren't here last week, I just want to tell you, it's not you. It's not me. It's not the elders. It's not the combined elders, the combined brain that we have here, but that Jesus is the head of the church. 
As we look this morning, as we look down at, at God's Word, as Paul is unpacking this for us and really focusing us on the Christ of the church, the, the one who is the central figure of the church, the one who has, has done it all, he, he reminds us once again, we're, we're in verse 18, for he is the head of the body of the church. That's where we left off last week. He is the beginning. He is the beginning. Sometimes that gets uh, overrun and we forget that part. But he is the beginning. He is the beginning. I was trying to think about what that means. What does it mean that he is the beginning? I think it's important to remember uh, how things came to pass. Who was there? If you want an eyewitness account of anything, especially those things in history, you need to talk to people who were there, right? In fact, that's what's so great about the History Channel and documentaries when they show pictures and they interview people during wars and they say, what was it like? And they recollect what they saw, what they saw. It's hard for us who weren't there, who read in books, who who just see pictures to put it all together because we weren't there. We weren't there. And in the midst of him describing Christ, he said, He is the beginning. He is the beginning. There is not a sense of anyone being able to tell Christ anything because He is the beginning. He is the beginning. I think it's, I think it's one of our tendencies, but when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to searching the Scripture and coming to know Christ and the mind of Christ, and we come to a place where where what Christ has said, what what the teachings of God's Word say, they conflict with us, and we go, well, you know, maybe Jesus doesn't really understand my situation. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't been around Bear Valley for a while now, you know, and I, maybe he just doesn't know what's going on there. And we would never say that, but in our minds, we, we set aside the eternal Word, the mind of Christ, and we say, I got something to add. I have something that's better. He is the beginning. He is the beginning. And when you think through creation and all that we know and all that this, the history to think before all those things, He is the beginning. We can't go back any further. If you've purchased a house that's already been built, don't you always wonder how how things got to be put together. You know, sprinkler systems are the worst, aren't they? I know there's some pipes around here someplace, but I, I, I wasn't here when it was put in. There's a sense in which as we look at who Christ is, the one of the reasons we should submit to Him is He is the beginning. He is the beginning. The second point this morning Jesus is first of the resurrected. This is going to be a tough one. I'll, I'll admit that to you. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it, maybe you'll get it because you're just super smart. Or maybe not. You know who you are. This is tough. As we read this, it doesn't, it doesn't jump up in us and go, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, 
reading it over and over again and putting it into context and, and thinking through what Paul was communicating and, and the, the theme and how all these things fit together. He says this in verse 19. I'm sorry. In verse 18. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. Doesn't that sound kind of interesting? Because when people are dead, they are not born, right? We get that picture, and those words don't put together, being born and being dead in the same sentence, in the same phrase. The firstborn of the dead, how does that work? You'll remember last week we looked at another firstborn. If you look up in verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, of all creation. And you'll remember that in all of creation, he was the first of all that, not in in time, but in in preeminence and being above all, the firstborn of, of all. And in the same way, he uses this term firstborn again, but not of those who had been born, but those who have died. Think about this. Think about this. This is really important. When you think of the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus, what was he the best at? What was he the one that was separate and different then? His resurrection. His resurrection. Just as he marks, Paul the Apostle, under the inspiration of God, marks that in all of creation, in all those who have ever been born, Jesus is above all. He now points to the resurrection, to those who have died, and and all that have died. He is the firstborn in them as well. And obviously, as you connect to the resurrection, you go, the resurrection is a huge piece to our salvation. It is the victory that has been won over sin and death. And for us to remember that in the resurrection, He is the first. And it continues on uh, to show the implications He's the first of the resurrected, the supreme of those who had died. For what reason? For what reason? Flows into our second or third point, that he would be first in everything. That, that idea of being preeminent. Preeminent. That he, because he was above all in birth, he was above all in death, he was above all the church and, and in creation, you start mounting that he is first in everything, that he is above all. You start listing these things together and the resume looks too big. He's overqualified for me. <laughs> You know, I, I don't match up. I, 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 as I read through this passage, Jesus keeps getting bigger in my mind, and I keep getting smaller. I, I, and it's comparison, right? I look at who He is, and that He is preeminent over all. And what am I over? Not a whole lot. Even some of the things I'm supposed to be over, I'm not over. You see, Jesus is the first of the resurrected, and we go right into that third point that he is first in everything, in everything, in everything. Things that we haven't even thought of, he is first. He is first. 
that word preeminent doesn't just mean the idea of time, that he got to be first in line. It doesn't mean the idea of just being, uh, you know, by the luck of the draw, he came up. But he is first in the sense of superior overall. That in everything, he might be preeminent. That in everything, that connection with the resurrection, that because he really completed the course, if you will, that he is over all. He is over all. Kind of hard for us to take in, isn't it? That he is over all. In verse 19, another very important verse for us to uh, identify who Jesus is. Many people have struggled with this, the idea that... um, both unbeliever and believer alike, those who are in cults, those who are uh, in new age, everybody struggles with this. He's the head of the body. He's the, the one from the beginning. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn of the dead. He is uh, overall, he is preeminent. And then in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is all that the Father is in a body. All that the Father is in a body. I want to pick out these words and really get us to focus on them individually. First of all, it speaks of God, God the Father. That He is the one here. And it's not a less than God. It's not part of God. It is simply God and then it says, uh, the next word I want to uh, point out is that that last word, to dwell, to dwell. That God, all that God is, dwells in Christ, dwells in Christ. And the idea of dwelling, it's a, a permanent abode. It's, it's a permanent state. It's not something that is kind of there, kind of not there for temporary, for a moment in time. It's a permanent, it's a permanent dwelling. It's important to see that, uh, not that we would think this if it, these words weren't there, but it says, God dwelt in Christ. But it says what? The, the fullness of God. The fullness of God. I think that's important for us to see because it, it, it's, not, it's not a part of God. I think that, that that's a... a heresy and something that people have gotten off track over and over again is that he's kind of christ is kind of god he there's a portion of him there's a sliver of who the father is in him and that's how he walked the face of this earth and did amazing things but he is not god he is not and it says uh the inspiration right god's communicating to us through the holy spirit the fullness the fullness the fullness are, are you getting us uh, let me back up one other. Look down at it again. If you don't have your Bibles open, shame on you. There's one other word in there, and, and you, you get the picture here that, that he wants to make a point, right? All, all the fullness. You get the two, 
he's packing these words on so that we get the point. He says, God dwelled, God dwelled in Christ, in Jesus, who he was, God dwelled in him. The fullness of God dwelled in him. All the fullness of God dwelled in him. You, you moms know what's going on here, right? Go clean your room. Totally clean your room. Totally clean all your room. Are you getting a picture here? There's a super important point for us. And some of us say, well, this is just that theology stuff. It is that theology stuff. And that theology stuff is meant to change our mind and heart that we might live a different way this week. That Jesus is not just uh, someone we make up in our mind. But he is God. He is God in fullness. That all that the Father is, we get to see in Christ. He is, he is God. He is deity. And so for us to think anything less of him is making up a Jesus that is not found in Scripture. All that the Father is in the body. Look down at God's Word and think through the last two weeks and read over that right now. And I want you to ask the question, is the Jesus that you have pictured, maybe accepted, maybe have relationship with, is that the guy? Is that the Jesus that is found in Colossians chapter 1? He's so much bigger than I can comprehend. He's so much more amazing and immense. And as I, as I consider that, I go, wow, I feel so small. And the reason I'm stalling here and stopping us and causing us to meditate, because we are going to get another picture of who Jesus is as we move on. That's an important connection for us. The last point this morning, and this is where I'm going to dwell most of our time, is that Jesus is the finisher. He is the finisher. Couldn't think of a better word. I didn't want to use reconcile because that's in the text and we'll get there. But I, I, want, I want you to see this. This is super great. It stirs my heart. It causes me to think amazing things about Jesus He is the beginning, He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, and through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making peace by the blood of His cross. Paul, as he is talking about Jesus and he's sharing about who Jesus is and these amazing truths of how he has been a part of creation and the creator, that he is eternal, that he is God come in the flesh, that all these amazing things, he now turns to the work that Jesus did. And it says that he is the reconciler, the one to make things right, make things right. 
And I think about that word to reconcile. It's to make right what is wrong. And you think, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with this world today? What's wrong with this world today? We're good at talking about the things that are wrong with this world today. Some of you love watching the news just so you can talk about what's wrong with the world today. I look at this this verse, this passage, and I think, Jesus is more than I can comprehend. And it says that it's not just more than he can comprehend in who he is, but it's more than I can comprehend in what he has done and what he came to do. And through him, through him, and I want you to get this picture that he is the only one, that he is the only uh, one that in him that this happens. It says, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth and in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want to take those two words, reconcile and peace. How have you been made right? How have you been made right? How do you have now peace with God? How did that happen? Through Jesus, right? Through Jesus. That's the only way that it can happen. It can't happen by you working really hard, like the Energizer Bunny. Done all these things wrong. I'm going to do more things right. I'm going to do more things right. And I'm going to be so proud of myself. Oh, sin. Oh, I hate that. Even when I'm trying to do something good, it fills up with my pride and greed and competition. And then I'm sinning even in those ways. And oh, I can't do enough right. How can you be reconciled, be made right with Christ? How can that be so? How can it happen? Well, there's only one way. It's through him. It's through him. He's the only one who can make things right. His is the only plan that's going to work out. He's the only way for you and for me. But I want to tell you something. Um, I don't think that's what it's talking about in this passage. Look down at it. Look down at it. What is he reconciling? All, all things. All things. You're going, well, wait a minute. Kevin's going to get crazy here in a minute. I feel it coming. Are you saying, Kevin, no, I'm not, that everyone's going to be right with Christ? No, I'm not. But look at this passage. It's very interesting. I, I think he's pointing to the time when Christ will change everything and make it right. Because where is he going to do this? What is the the place in Heaven and earth, right? Heaven and earth. Uh, Up there and down here. And you say, well, I don't know what's going on down there. I don't know what's going on in in the places where I can't see. Exactly. Is that Christ has this amazing plan that through his death and resurrection, what he has done and accomplished, who he is, what he has done and accomplished, that he is going to make all things right. 
that he is going to change what is wrong. It's not that he's going to save everyone and change them apart from their will. It's not that... uh, It's not that everything that's been broken is going to be fixed. Some of it is going to be blasted away. You look at the book of Revelation and other parts of the scripture where it describes end times events. It's not going to be a simple thing where Jesus the hippie is going to show up and say some kind words and, hey, cool. That's not the Jesus of the Bible but that part of his plan is to come to reconcile and make the world, bring it back to where he wants it to be. And I look at this and I say, this little sliver, this little sliver, it's not even that big, is my life and your life combined. <laughs> you know, it's so, we're such a small part And the amazing thing to me as I look at this passage is Jesus, that he is the God of the universe, that he is the one who is part of this creative force that that made all the great things that we see. We have some folks in Yosemite this weekend. They're going to come back and tell me how great it was. You know what? And I'm going to tell them that wasn't nothing for God. In fact, that stuff was all messed up even. It was great and it's still messed up. That he is the one to reconcile for what he did on the cross. It is the, the event that is going to make all things right and bring peace where there is no peace here today. He is the finisher. He is the one that will reconcile to himself. It, it gives a picture here, and we know from other passages that this is really as part of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that this is all, they're all within this process and involved in this. But I like the way it says, reconcile to himself. Reconcile to himself. He's both the payment and the one it's paid to. You know, this isn't a sense of, he says, I'll take care of it all. I will take care of it all so that you can have a relationship with me. That things can be right with me. I'll take care of it all. We cannot we cannot uh, skip over this. In this verse, there's a price for this to be accomplished. And what is it? Blood of the cross. Blood of the cross. Last week, we shared in a time of communion. And if you've been in the church a long time, sometimes it becomes monotonous. We have these little cups that are really small. Really small. And we have these little small crackers, wafers of bread that are... And, and, and it's just a symbol. It's not a meal, right? If it is a meal, not so good, right? But as we reflect, what are we reflecting on? That there was a price that was paid for us. And and I, there's plenty of us here today that we, we don't like blood, Right? We don't like blood. There's a phrase in basketball, right? What is it? What is it? About blood. Don't any of you play basketball? No blood, no foul. There's a sense in which 
It's not serious until there's blood involved, right? It's not serious. And that's really the reality of the Scriptures, isn't it? That when we reflect on what Christ has done for us, there's blood involved. There's blood involved. You know why? Because it was a price, an awful price that was paid that we can be reconciled so that we can have peace. And Jesus paid it. He paid it. And why that's so amazing is it, you know, there's sometimes we look and we say, well, somebody worthless should do this job. Somebody that's lesser than me. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Because Jesus was immense, amazing. He is, is all. He is over all in all ways and before and beyond. And, and He's over the church. He's over all things. And He reconciled all. He, his plan is for reconciliation, to make all things right, to bring peace. At what cost? His own blood. His own blood. This morning, as we gather as a church, uh, we're a bloody church. We're a bloody church. Not because we want to be graphic, not because um, it seems like a good movie or something like that, but because our debts demanded, the world and, and who we are demanded that Jesus would pay an awful price, and he paid it. And he paid it. This morning as we close, I I personally want to be overwhelmed with all that Jesus is. And And then in all that he is, to reflect that he paid an awful price. That we would be reconciled, that peace would be on this earth, and that we play such a small part of that. I don't know if it's going to be next week. It probably won't be. But in a couple weeks, we'll follow up with the uh, last section of this passage. You can read ahead if you'd like. That really talks about our personal place, really where we came from. And, And to put all this together, to dwell on the cost and the amazing thing that Christ has done for us. Um, something to be thankful for, right? Thanksgiving message, right? Let's pray and ask that God would um, just continue to work in us as we think through um, what He has done for us in Christ. God, thank You. Thank You for the gift of Your Son. God, let us uh, gain an accurate picture of who Christ is that we might be overwhelmed by the grace that we receive and the gift that He gave to us and the price that was paid that he might reconcile this sinful world that we are a part of. God, thank you for your church. Ignite our hearts to serve you based upon this message, not upon our self-righteousness and not upon how great we are, but how great Christ is, that he might be exalted in this church and that no one would ever say that their, uh, that's their church, but that they would say that this is Jesus' church, his Christ church. He paid for it. God, thank you for this time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.